we met with uh, Jack Dorsey, you know, the CEO of Twitter oh, yeah. and Square. Yeah. We met with him in Silicon Valley uh, last month, right? So what blew our mind is, so he's he's going on an Africa tour. He's going to Nigeria, um, Ghana, South Africa, and Ethiopia, right? Not Kigali? Not Kigali. I, I, I guess Kigali is next time. Come on, Jack. <laughs> so what I was thinking was that even somebody like him, right, coming to Ethiopia, visiting the initiatives that, you, you know, the various tech players are playing in, really, really shows an importance, right? What we see is that other people seeing that definitely makes you say, okay, you know what? If Jack is going there, there must be something Something's there. Something's going right? on. Exactly. Fear of missing out. Exactly. Fear of missing out. So we're trying to scare them with the fear of missing out <laughs> and, um, and get them to come um, to Ethiopia and other African countries. My name is Innocent Mugenga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. We all come from somewhere and aim to make a journey through life. Constant change. This is an open-ended exploration of our ability and desire to learn, grow, and adapt. In conversation with inspiring individuals and experts in the fields of sciences, technology, behavior, and performance, we seek to find answers to how to navigate and win in this information age. The future is happening now, and we aspire to evenly distribute the knowledge by empowering your learnability. Let's go. Welcome, Noel. Thank you for having me, Innocent. I appreciate you, bro. It's a pleasure to have you. It's, uh, we really set this up in short notice. Uh, shout out to Ma- Martin Talvid, who helped us fix this podcast room at Helio Great. GT30. I was invited to moderate a, an event for Africa Tech Got Next. Binet invited me, and we had Bethlehem Desi here, and you guys. Let's start there. Could you tell us a little bit what brought you to Stockholm? All right. Um, I mean, thank you again for having me. I appreciate that. And I already feel like I know you forever, to be yeah, honest. But <laughs> it, was, it was great meeting you. Um, for us, and I work with Bethlehem Desi, so Bethlehem's from ICOG Labs. She's also a partner at our company, at our venture capital firm, which is called Kuru Ventures. Uh, we've been traveling quite a lot recently, um, studying different tech ecosystems. Um, and trying to understand how can we have proper knowledge transfer within, you know, more advanced um, uh, countries that are using innovation in a in a very strategic way to grow the country. Um, so for us, and again, being a venture capital firm that recently set up in Ethiopia. Um, the first in Ethiopia. The first, yes. The first Ethiopian venture capital firm. Uh, it was the number one thing was about understanding how is the tech ecosystem supposed to work? What have other countries and how have they implemented it? So we've been uh, traveling to across Africa. We we were in Kigali. We were in Cape Town, Nairobi, uh, in Europe. We just came back from Silicon Valley where we had extensive conversations with different um, players in the technical system. So Stockholm, actually, um, this is also one of its kind. Bethlehem Desse uh, is teaching about 100 hours of coding. That's fantastic work. Exactly. And, and what's even crazier is that it always used to be the other way around, mm-hmm. right? So we'd have traditionally... Um, white, you know, older people usually, right, teaching um, people of color or whatever it may be how to code, right? Like that's the common um, common way of doing things. But now we're having an African company, mm-hmm. right? Bethlehem, that's a 20-year-old 20 innovator um, coming to Sweden, teaching kids in Sweden how to code. So for me, I said, I cannot miss this. And at the same time, you know, we got to meet people like you guys, um, who, who I think we can do a lot work, a lot of work together. Yeah. And I'm all very impressed with the, 
with the technical system in, in Stockholm and I'll definitely be back again. But in a nutshell, that's why we came. And we had a really interesting discussion yesterday talking about the African tech ecosystem in large and then breaking down into specific countries and comparing that to Stockholm and Silicon Valley, which you have spent a lot of time in. And there is strength and weaknesses in all, all ecosystems. And it's really great that you're taking your time in this way, exploring the different, uh, really going into the different ecosystems and trying to find keys. Because there's a lot of opportunity uh, to be built in Ethiopia. And, and like you're talking about, venture capital being the, the food, as you said it yesterday. <laughs> food for startups. <laughs> yeah, food for startups. So it's really important uh, that you're putting all this effort into uh, feeding the ecosystem, basically. Yes. Um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, I mean, one of the, like a crazy fact, for example, as I said, being the first Ethiopian VC, for us, it was unbelievable. How is a tech ecosystem supposed to thrive mm. with no investment, yes. right? The number one thing is, and, you know, and the challenge that we see in Ethiopia is since we're not used to this, um, you know, usually in Africa and especially in, in, in countries like Ethiopia where the tech ecosystem start early, tech is considered IT, right? Mm. So computers, servers. Uh, you know, but now we're talking about more advanced innovations um, that can have tremendous impact on 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 our communities. So I think one of the interesting things that we saw was that we we have to make sure we're on the ground. We have to make sure we support these young innovators because nobody else is. There's a big lack of support from the government. There are barely any policies uh, imposed in order to to help startups thrive. So for us, the number one thing was one. Let's set up shop. Let's understand what's happening on the ground. And let's try to make sure we're encouraging these young kids to innovate. Because if nobody's innovating and everyone is going the traditional way, you know, if everyone's becoming an engineer, doctor, yeah. but we don't have uh, people working in innovation, we're going to be lacking behind in a lot of, um, in a lot of fields. And, and the interesting thing is that I always say is that you can be in whatever field, right? Whatever field, whether you may be in health, mm. education. You know, technology is leapfrogs, mm -hmm. right? Whatever it may be. Yes. 10x, 20x, whatever it may be. So I think um, the use of technology all across is just extremely important. And, and like you're saying, it's, a, it's a, a, probably the best way today to scale great solutions and scale great ideas. Thank you for sharing your experience in, in Stockholm. I want to learn or I would like you to share a, bit, a little bit about your journey because I find it to be really inspiring. You're 23 yourself. Yes. You moved to New York about, what was it, five years ago, four yes. years ago? Yes. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how All you right. came to the position where um, you are today. Actually, so interesting story. I'll, I'll tell you in a very um, short version, but I was actually born and raised in Germany. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still a German citizen. <laughs> so I was born and raised in Germany, lived there until I was about 14, 15. All right. Moved to Ethiopia. So you had your teens in Germany. So yeah, I was German. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So for me, uh, even until today, my mom, my sister still live in Germany. I go there um, quite a lot. But what happened was um, my dad, who used to live in, in Washington, D.C., ended up moving to Ethiopia and started a business there. So I never grew up with him or we never lived together. So, you know, by the time I got to right when I finished eighth grade, yeah. he said, I really, really need you to come and live at least one year with mm. me. And we need to build that relationship. So, you know, for me, I was always a very spontaneous person. You know, I like adventurous things. So imagine it's eighth grade. I've, I don't know Ethiopia. You know, I go to Ethiopia maybe once in a while, one week. It's like, it's like honeymoon, you know what yeah. I mean? Everyone is nice to you. So when he asked me to come, I said, okay, sure. You know what? I want to get to meet my dad. I want to see another country. So I went to Ethiopia. And, and you moved directly? I directly moved there. My mom was shocked. She, she didn't even believe that. I would just 
move, you know, but um, so this was ninth grade, right? Yeah. I was only supposed to be there for a year. I ended up staying three years okay, because I loved it so much. But initially I didn't. So imagine I'm, you know, born and raised in Germany. Yes. European mindset. I don't know what struggle is. You know, mm. as you know, like you don't really see people struggling to that extent. So here I am in Ethiopia, by the way, it rains during August and like when it's summer oh, yeah. in the U.S. and everywhere else, it's yeah, actually raining. Rain season. Yeah. <laughs> this is the opposite way. So I get to Ethiopia, it's like raining. It's, I don't know anybody. Only person I know is my dad. So I think one of the big lessons for me then was understanding that, you know, joining a new environment, mm -hmm. always being able to, you know, make the right connections, make sure you're, you know, you're intentional about what you do. You generally share about your interests, mm -hmm. right? And that's, and also one of the things that really motivated me was going there, really opened my eyes to the problems that we have in the world. Getting another perspective. A hundred percent. You know, when you see people starving on the streets, you don't see that in Germany, right? So for me, that was really a wake up call. And I said, wow, there's really, really people that did not have the opportunities that we have. Oh, yeah. It's sort of like our, our parents try to tell us that, like, oh, you should be happy. Mm -hmm. Imagine uh, back Imagine, home, back home. Exactly. Yeah. But that's but always just a saying that yes. we hear, right? Yes. But then actually being on the ground mm -hmm. and, and actually seeing that, for me, was like, this is insane, right? So that's when I kind of, I think it was about mid-ninth grade when I was like, you know what? I'm definitely going to live in Ethiopia after college. But for me, it was always like, I'm going to live in, in the U.S. for a while, yeah. work, you know, make my money, and then I'll move back and, and start giving back. So I did 9th, 10th, 11th grade in yeah. Ethiopia. Went to the U.S., finished high school, went to boarding school, actually. So I was always in a new environment. So I actually was in Pennsylvania for boarding school. With kids from all around the world. So we had kids from China, Mexico, all around. So even then in the dorm, it was very diverse. You yeah. meet a lot of people. You understand different perspectives. Once again. So once again, I was, I was exposed to different mindsets and to different problems and to different challenges that are all across the world. So I finished high school, went to New York. I went to Pace University, studied finance. Uh, and then actually the interesting thing was in my freshman year of college, I started this organization called Network to Network. Yes. Which was, um, the idea was how do we bridge the gap between successful African diasporas and young up and coming entrepreneurs like ourselves, right? That's so great. That's, we're looking into that right now here in Stockholm. Really? Yeah. Nice. So, <laughs> and, and any support or any way we can help, um, we'd love to. Uh, but yeah, so it started off as a small thing, you know. Honestly, things were really unexpected. We started off small event, first event, I think we had like 40 people, 50 people. Second event, 100 people, third event, 150, and then we end up having 12 events all across the world wow. from London to Addis to New York um, to Washington, D.C., having a variety of highly inspirational um, creators, professionals, entrepreneurs, whatever mm. it may be. Mm. And then slowly what started happening with that platform was that we had a lot of people reaching out, getting inspired after they hear these people mm. and getting, you know, getting moved to take action. Oh, yeah. So they've walked around with this idea. If only I could, maybe one day. And then they meet <laughs> exactly. like-minded people that's, meet, that are actually doing it. And, and, you know, I saw how important it is, honestly. You know, I, I think this is really um, underrated, you know, usually. But what you see is that when you have people that look just like you, right, doing amazing things, you know, pushing the boundary, changing the narrative, you actually think, hey, I can do this too. Yeah. So actually one of the interesting things in Germany for me was that you, I've never seen a person of color as an executive, right? I've never seen a powerful person being of color. So for me, honestly speaking, in Germany, 
like I never thought, oh, I want to be this, or because I, I don't think it's, I didn't think it was possible for me. You don't have that exposure to that exactly. type of uh, you know opportunities. But then you know, getting emerged in Ethiopia and like seeing highly successful people, and especially you know me moving to the U.S. Oh yeah, as you know, U.S. is very diverse. Afro Americans, you know, any yeah. anybody can make yeah. it, right? Opportunities are plenty. You see high profile people. Um, I think the former CEO of uh, Pepsi, Indian woman, yes, uh, American Express former CEO, mm. black American mm. guy. So, you know, right now we have tycoons, you know, all over that are African-Americans or with African descent. So that is extremely, extremely important. Mm. So for me, that was the reason we started Network to Network. Same, you know, as the name, Network to, to Network, network right? I love that name as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's NTN in short. So what then started happening was next thing you know, we're receiving a bunch of, a bunch of business proposals and a mm. bunch, a bunch of ideas. Because now they're getting moved to take action. Yes. Now people are sitting at home innovating. Hey, if he did it, I can do it oh, too. Yeah. So that of, was the important thing for us. That's fantastic. And they're sort of looking at you like, hey, you're the one who told me to start. Mm-hmm. Here's my idea. How do I start? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and also the other problem is, you know, as we know, you know I, mean, I mean, imagine, right? So we have 200 people at these events. Yeah. All 200 people talk to, you know, to, to, them, to the panelists. The oh, yeah. panelists give them their business cards. And then they have hundreds of people reaching mm-hmm. out to them, right? So usually what you see is that they don't respond. People are busy. And they're not set up to, to do that type of work probably. Yes. And, you know, so what, what, ended, up, what ended up happening was that we, um, we started receiving them and they started asking us, hey, could you please forward this or could you please show this to that person or whatever? So next thing you know, we're having hundreds of ideas at our hand, a bunch of proposals, a bunch of ideas. But now I can't look, I can't look bad and just everything I get just forward, right? Yeah. So next thing you know, I'm doing due diligence, oh, yeah. right? So now I'm looking at deals myself. Imagine I'm still in college. <laughs> um, I have my, I have my, you know, my studies, whatever. I was doing some things on the side too. And next thing you know, I'm spending a couple of hours a day looking at deals and seeing, okay, which person or which investor, which entrepreneur might be interested with whose interest does this business align? Does this business make sense for me to even yes. forward this and, and kind of vouch for it, right? Yeah. So next thing you know, started really becoming inefficient. So we did a few deals where people received funding, how, you know, where we connected entrepreneurs wow. with up and coming, um, with up and coming young entrepreneurs, yeah. right? But then what started happening was we were spending a lot of time, but it wasn't like we were taking any shares or oh, any yeah. commission mm-hmm. because for me, that was, this is a community organization, yes. community platform, yes. right? And it's maybe still a learning experience at oh, that, that 100%. stage. percent. Yeah. For me, I mean, I was, and again, I think I was like 19, yeah. you know, in mean? college still, 19, yeah. 20. So yeah. for me, it was just like, who am I to charge anything anyway, right? But then my idea was, okay, now the next question was, if I want NTN to be sustainable and, and live on forever, it has to start making money. Because initially, NTN wasn't really making money. We'd get maybe some sponsors. So usually we'd get the venue sponsored. We'd get some food sponsored. Initially, I think sometimes when we have bigger costs, we might charge like $10 at the door. But that's about it, right? And it's still break even. And, and, and even then, we're operating at usually a loss. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I came out of pocket a lot of times, you know, for NTN. But for me, that was a passion thing, right? So the next thing for me was, okay, I think the way to move forward is, and by the way, I studied finance, so I'm, I'm a money guy. So, you know, for me, it was, okay, what makes sense is we have a bunch of business ideas coming in, right? So why don't we raise a fund? from the same people that I'm giving these ideas to, but now I'm in a position, right, to make the investments myself. So you've built trust with the people, with the money. Exactly. And then if you set up a fund with a structure, you can be more efficient. You can be more efficient. So for me, it was all about efficiency because now this process is taking a lot of time. 
the entrepreneur looks at it, comes back with questions, and then it's just a bunch of back and forth, right? So now we start. So then I start thinking, okay, you know what? I'm gonna finish college. I'm almost done. Then I'll work in in investment banking. So while I was in college, by the way, I did internships at companies like Ernst and Young. So mm-hmm. I had consulting background. I did Ascent, which is a private equity company focused on Africa. Um, and so I was always in that in that field. So my plan was was to go into either investment banking, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the common path. And then like you know busted up for a couple of years, you know, three, four years, five years even, and then raise this money and move back home and, and make an impact. Oh, so that was your horizon, like five years. Oh, yeah, a hundred. Because, you know, I mean, there's two things, right? For us, it's always like, oh, you can't go back home unless you have something. Mm, you can't yes. just go and try to do something. You don't know the country. You know, you have to have something tangible. Like, that's what you always hear. So for me, it was like, okay, I can't just move back to Ethiopia right now. I need to have something. So then I just wanted to start floating this idea around. Mm-hmm. So I started preparing proposals. I started, you know, working on how, how I'm going to raise this money. So my plan was let me raise $1.5 million yeah. from 10 of the people that we had in our network, from entrepreneurs and high net worth individuals that we know. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that has an interest. That in has an doing, interest. Yeah. Exactly. So they'll commit about $150,000 each, 10 people. That's $1.5 million. And for me, at the, just to start, right? I thought that was a good amount. Of, and by the way, at this point, I wasn't even thinking of doing this in Ethiopia. The idea was just to invest in the companies oh. that we had coming in through NTN already. Sort of the diaspora focus. Exactly. Yeah. So the African diaspora yeah. focus. And since these were extremely early stage um, companies, usually you get 15,000, 20,000, yeah. 30,000. Seed rounds. It's like, you know, not too bad. So my idea was, okay, let me try to make about a dozen or more investments, right? And, and then see how it goes. Mm-hmm. So as I'm planning on doing this, I remember this was in mid-December. Uh, I was I was in New York. I was at a dinner. I, I met my investor and I told him what I was trying to do. I told him the idea. And for me, I didn't even tell him about the fund. It was more like, hey, this is what I'm doing. And the first thing he asks me is he's also a businessman. He says to me, so how's this going to make money in the future, right? So I told him, it's actually funny. I just came up with an idea how this is going to make money. We talk for a couple of hours. He calls me the next day. A couple of days later, I'm, I'm flew out to Atlanta. Yeah, we actually had an NTN event. So funny stories. We had an event in, in Atlanta uh, a couple of days after I met him. And he's actually from Atlanta, but mm. I met him in New York. So when I went to Atlanta, we also linked up there. He took me to his, um, you know, like to some of his uh, work, right? Yeah. He took yeah. me to a site. So he's in real estate. Um, so he took me around. We spent a lot of time. And literally the next day we spoke and he said, you know what? I'll fund $3 million. So on the spot, on the spot. So, Damn. you know, for us, it was like 1.5. Even that was a stretch. right? Exactly. I'm just like, I was like, okay, I'm just, you know, I'm just stretching it, but let me try. But yeah. So I think, you know, it goes back to earlier. What I said is about being genuine and always being sharing about what you're doing yes. and how can we work together? Mm. How, that's one thing I see, you know, people hang out. Usually people our age, right? Hang out, talk about soccer. You know, you may talk about some girls Oh, you know, but why why are we having those type of conversations, yes. right? It's good. I'm not saying you should only talk about work. Of course. But I think the majority should be how can we work together? How can we innovate? How, how can we change the narrative? That's so well said. And I totally agree with you. And the way I've spoken about it previously uh, with learnability, we speak about information consumption. So we all have a limited amount of hours per day. We're all limited in that way. And you're probably working, let's say, whatever amount of hours. And the rest of the hours, let's say you have three, four, five hours per day. What are you doing with those hours? Exactly. Are you consuming, 
let me find an American um, comparison to Paradise <laughs> Hotel, uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> or are you uh, consuming information that actually takes you places or, yeah. or, or is part of your growth? And it's the same with conversations. I'm consuming your information when I'm speaking to you and, and yes, sharing. Exactly. So actually, you know, you made a really po- actually really you made a really good point. I, I think recently I had I had made an, I had made a similar reference. I had said it's sad to see that people are more concerned, right, about Kanye's latest meltdown, mm. for example, yes. than the trajectory of our of our country's economy. You know, yes, and uh, and you know, I think it's just about also society and now social media. A lot of distractions are everywhere, so that makes it even harder. Definitely, and it plays into like human nature and our desire to. Gossip in order to know our exactly. position in the world and our overwhelming fear of the future and so on. So it's, it's actually, what we're seeing here is not the easy thing to do. And that's probably why a few people do it. Yeah. But yeah, so just to wrap up um, yeah. the, the question you asked me about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, I keep going <laughs> this on This is a great that. story. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so he committed, by the way, I mean, just to tell you a little bit about my investor. This is somebody who dropped out of eighth grade, out of eighth grade or ninth grade. Uh, just like a beast, literally a hard worker, um, sees opportunities where nobody else sees opportunities, um, is very committed yeah. um, to his communities. So he's a real estate investor in Atlanta yes. today. He's a real estate developer, um, owns a bunch of companies, very diversified. Uh, and, you know, I think the number one thing for me even is that even more than an investor, honestly speaking, like for me, he's so many things, right? Oh, yeah. He's a mentor. He's an older brother. He's like a dad. He's like my boss. He's my mm. partner. He's mm. my investor. Everything, right? So I think, I think it is really, really important more than the money aspect. You know, one thing that people don't value enough is this. Honestly, like him in terms of his advice, his his guidance mm. is way, way worth more than than the money he than commits. The money in itself. You know. So for me, that really drives me. Seeing him, you know, listening to what he's doing motivates me right it, you know it, it pushes me to do greater so definitely and I'm can, thankful to have an investor like that I, I can see how it feeds into each other I think he's thankful to have you and I can see like just from this conversation and these last conversations that we have why he would invest in you it makes a whole <laughs> lot of sense don't make me blush <laughs> <laughs> but, but how did you become that uh, investable person how did you become this driven and uh, that's a nice word investable person investable person I'm going to say using that but um, I don't know I think you know honestly speaking right it's always i think i mean this is how i look at it right it's always about doing the extra work right and that's one you know one big problem for example when when i was in college i remember for me it was never acceptable to be like okay you know what i'm going to college that's what i'm supposed to be doing right mm-hmm. and that's it that's what 90 percent does yes you're going yes, to college sir. and you're and you're tapping yourself on the shoulder saying hey good job you're going to college Everyone goes to college, especially in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, yeah, yeah. I don't want to, you know, um, talk about like all across the world. But what you see is that going to college is not a huge accomplishment, right? So for me, even back then, it was like, okay, I'm going to college, but that wasn't enough for me, right? So I'm like, okay, what else can I do? What am I doing right? with it? Exactly. What am I? And at the end of the day, so it starts from small things. So. I'm not saying everyone has to end up, everyone has to start their own organization. But what I'm saying is do that internship in the summer instead of hanging out or going traveling for no, like, that's not the time to be hanging out, right? <laughs> so the number one thing is for me, I always did internships mm-hmm. religiously. Not, there's not one year where I was in college that I didn't do an internship. But that's a lot a of advice. people didn't, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Because they don't understand, they think, okay, I'm, doing a, I'm going to college. Yeah. I'll get out and I'll get a job. 
nobody will give you a job because, because every, 90%. Exactly. Yes. You know, so the question is what makes you stand stand apart, right? What makes you different? I asked you what makes you such a investable person. And what you're saying right here is that you invest in yourself. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm hearing. Th- th- that's actually a really, really good point. And and I think um I th- I think you said it really nicely because a lot of times we expect things to be given to us, right? And and that's what I'm saying. Like for me, as I said, freshman year in college, I'm like, okay, what can I do? Mm. Right. So I remember like I came to New York. My school's like a block away from Wall Street, my old college. So what happened was every day there's a Q&A panel. Every day we have the CEO of Verizon, the, the managing partner of Goldman Sachs, the whatever of this coming and sharing. But the rooms are empty. So I go to these meetings or ask my friends, hey, do you guys want to go? And they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> Man, that's not cool. What you talking about? You know what I'm mean? getting paid? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, like, like that's the common, you know, that's the common thing. And like for me, it got to the point where I was literally hiding going to these events. Mm. You know what I mean? Because like, I'm like, okay, you know, I want to go. But then again, I don't want to look like a geek. So even it shouldn't even be like that. You know what I'm that, saying? That's really. <laughs> you know? So like for me seeing all that, I yeah. remember. And then, and then I was thinking, hey, why don't we have this back home? Right. So when we started NTN, there was nothing like that in Ethiopia. There was no Q&A panels. No, now we have a bunch of companies, you know, coming up and, and doing amazing work, um, uh, you, you know, similar to NTN. But, you know, for me, it was really like, hey, let me try to see because I learned so much from oh, this. Yes. Imagine having, you know, people that look like us. Mm. Right. That goes back to the point what I was saying, because I was going to these meetings and again, mostly seeing old male most like majority of the time white so imagine doing something similar but now you're actually seeing people of your color of your background so you're like i can definitely do this too yes and look look around me there's so many people thinking like me on on the same path or in the same same direction as me it's natural so it doesn't feel like you're forcing your way into an industry or uh, like you're not supposed to be there I think that's, many people could be left with that feeling. A hundred percent, you know, so, and again, you know, just to wrap up my point, it's about, you know, so I was doing that freshman year and again, um, I was doing my internships on the side as well, always try. So literally there'll be times where I'd be doing an internship and planning an event at the same time, right? But for me, it was not like, oh, this is so much work, oh, this is boring, but I was genuinely, you know, enjoying what I was doing because I find it interesting, right? And the other thing is be a curious person. That's what I always tell people. Ask questions. I remember when I met when I'm at my investor Mike, um, I was asking him so many questions, mm. right? Mm. And and sometimes, especially in our culture, it's like, oh, you you shouldn't be asking, you know, you're just supposed to stay quiet, da 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 da, like that. You know, that's how usually we're raised in an African household. You know, respect your elders, don't ask questions, but ask questions. One, two, be passionate about what you're doing, mm. right? So. Whatever it may be, like people can sense the energy, right? For example, we interview and we speak to a bunch of um, startups. We have a bunch of startups that, you know, that come and pitch. And it really takes five, like five minutes to, to just get the vibe and say, okay, this person is just acting like they care. Or this person has the wrong intentions in terms of they're not really um, driven on, on solving the problem, but more on making money. And that's the biggest problem that we Extrinsic see. Extrinsic motivation exactly, rather than intrinsic. Yeah. You know? So I think, you know, your vibe really, really speaks for you. Um, and, and there's only so long that you can like BS and be like, Hey, this is what I'm, this is what I'm interested in. Da, 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 da. But yeah, so just be clear about your intentions. Yes. Be, be passionate about whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like for me, imagine every day I get to speak to young innovators. I'm learning every day. 
I'm hearing the most amazing solutions to, to so many problems that we're facing mm -hmm. every day. And, and, and your perspective really changes, right? So for me, it makes me so, so happy to do this, honestly. It makes me happy to see that, you know, right now we're at a space where this tech ecosystem is growing and us being at the forefront and pushing for it and advocating for it is, you know, is what I really enjoy, honestly speaking. That's fantastic to hear. I, I, more people enjoying what they're doing is the way we can, can make progress. So you're working on your field. Like we, we're really all about the bottom up approach. So encouraging people to find, like you're saying, what you're passionate about. So stop bullshitting people in pitch meeting and stop bullshitting yourself. Get down to your intrinsic motivation. And when you do that, creating opportunities, creating business, that's the, that's the great impact really trickling down exactly. into society. Exactly. Could you tell us a little bit about Kudu Funds and how you're set up and yes. uh, your, so, the work you're doing in Ethiopia? Yes, I would I love talking about Kudu. <laughs> so Kudu Ventures is an impact-driven uh, uh, impact fund. So yep. it's a venture capital firm. We invest in early stage and growth stage, meaning we invest anywhere from where you just have an idea and a prototype and some type of proof of concept to all the way to your Series A, Series B, Series C, where you're actually scaling. One of the things that we see and, and why we're actually focusing a little bit more on the early stage aspect of it is because, and again, the tech ecosystem being so nascent and at an early stage, you don't really see a lot of startups, you know, operating on Series A, Series B level because there is no investment to even get to Series A or oh, Series yeah. B. To right? get to that point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... For us, at levels we talk about this, we're, we're focused on the same stage and we talk about the value of death. Yes. So where most startups die because exactly. they never get to the next stage. Exactly. That's where we pick them up and help them with development and, and everything. Mm -hmm. So um, so actually, you know, as soon as we moved um, to, to Ethiopia, one of the things that we saw is we were on the ground looking for startups. And yeah, there's a few big name startups. But and again, we were like, okay, let's look for, for companies that are really, really solving grassroots problems, right? Let's, you know, there's so many challenges that we face every day. Um, so how, you know, how can we invest in founders that are obsessed, literally, you know, that's what I actually uh, like using is obsessed with solving a problem. So the first thing we did actually was, I remember as soon as I got to Addis, the first person I met with was Bethlehem. You know, I was so impressed by her. And actually, I think Bethlehem is probably one of the reasons also I was actually really even like really, really interested in, in Ethiopia was oh, because... Yeah. I saw this young 20-year-old girl, I mean, doing amazing things. Uh, it, just, it just blew my mind. So I said, okay, if this girl from Harar, yeah. which is not even the capital of Ethiopia, <laughs> say, you know, <laughs> is making it. And so there is no reason that, yes. that, no, that other people can't do it, yes. right? So imagine she had all the cards against her, right? She's a woman. Mm. She's young. She lives in the countryside. You know, and that was in a time when like internet was not as easily available. Exactly. Internet is expensive. So it's just mind blowing, right? Another funny thing with uh, about Bethlehem, I want to just stay on her for a moment, is that she started freelancing when she was 12, 14 years old. She started coding when she was nine, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I don't even remember what I was doing at nine. Yeah, I, think, yeah, I man. think I was playing soccer. I, yeah, I was playing soccer. I remember I had, the, you remember Ronaldo's uh, haircut yeah. when he had the front only? Yeah. I had that haircut running around looking stupid. Exactly, you know, but, but you know, it, for me, it was just insane, you know? And I remember like we had dinner with Bethlehem and, and I just told her, I said, you know, how can we get involved? Like, I really want to, like, get involved in whatever you guys are doing. 
So actually one of the things that came up was she told me about the, her Solvit Innovation Competition, which is run by ICOG Labs, which is the company she's a part of. And the idea is, okay, how do we solve uh, local problems with local tech-driven solutions? So they did this competition in 15 cities. Imagine, like this is unprecedented, right? 15 cities all across the country. Uh, I think it was about 200 and let me not mess up the numbers, but it was about 200 startups that competed. Um, and from that, about 68 made it to Addis, meaning like they won, that they came out top three in, in, in their cities. Then they come to Addis for the innovation, like the main grand finale, which was actually end of August. And so, man, I was blown away like by what I saw, honestly. And what you see is that there's so much talent mm -hmm. outside of Addis which is our capital, that is just untapped because nobody's looking outside of Addis. Exactly. Right? How did they go about in setting this up in all these different cities? It must be a really big challenge. Yeah, I mean, logistically, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's not easy. But um, so, so this is an initiative funded by the U.S. Embassy in Ethiopia. Oh, yeah. So State Department is involved and as well as JICA, which is um, the, the U.S. aid version of, of, of Japan. So it was funded by them and implemented and fully run by ICOG, right? So th they did support the initiative, which which definitely made it easier for um, for it to happen. Important to reach all cities and, and, and exactly. not only centralized in Addis. A hundred percent. And the other thing also that I want to um, touch upon while we're talking about this is the importance of collaboration, mm. right? Yes. So if ICOG said, you know what, we don't want to collaborate, we don't want, we're going to do this on our own. It wouldn't. It might have not been as as successful as it oh, is. Yeah. So I think I think the collaboration part, especially in Africa, needs to be emphasized. We need to collaborate more. We need to work together more. You know, I think it's also partially the scarcity mindset. You know, mm. a, a lot of times, you know, we came. I I don't want to say we. I can't even say I. <laughs> but you know, our parents and and the generations before went through a lot. Mm. Right. Resources were not available easily. They had to flee, you know. So I think because of that, everyone is kind of like, I don't want to share my resources. I don't want to, you know. So I think that's that's also one thing in terms of mindset. And that makes you a hard person. It could make you a hard person to collaborate with. Oh, 100%. In opposite, if you have an abundance mindset, that's the type of person exactly. you want to communicate with. Yeah. So you went there with an abundance mindset, looking to collaborate, looking to, and you met Bethlehem. Yeah, so, and again, you know, for me, I'm a very, very collaborative person. Um you know, I understand that nothing is doable by yourself, yes. right? And and if you and if you're thinking like, if you're thinking next level, like if you really really want to make an impact and you really want to scale, you cannot do that without collaboration, right? So for me, that's why I said I don't I don't want to come to Ethiopia. I'm not an expert on the Ethiopian market, right? I'm not a tech expert. I'm a finance guy. So of course there has to be a collaboration, right? So for me. Um, the whole the whole thing was that Solvit Innovation Competition it was the second year, like now. So the first year, a lot of people won. Uh, we had they had great ideas coming up, but then there was no follow up. Right? Oh yeah, no so opportunity exactly. to pursue it fully. Exactly. So they win, and then you know they get some media attention and so on. But then nobody invests in them You're because <laughs> because there are no you know active VC investments happening, and the tech ecosystem is not there fully there yet. There wasn't any follow up afterwards. Oh. So, but this year on the second year, we spoke with ICOG, um, you know, in Bethlehem and said, hey, she told me that, you know, for us, the next thing that we want to do is want to start acceleration program yeah. because most of these kids that come out of this actually have big, big potential as long as they get the support. So then we funded the Solvit acceleration program. We invested 5 million birth, which is about 
$200,000 into an acceleration program where people from the Solved Innovation Competition, as well as anyone can apply, they receive a three to four month, like it's like a boot camp, right? You get technical training, you get support, mentorship, you know, business advice, just all across. You receive seed, um, seed funding in order to start off your business. And I think, you know, for us, the reason we're so interested in this and, and we're passionate, and this was, by the way, also our first investment in yeah. Ethiopia, was because, okay, now we can support these startups from ground up. And again, these are just ideas, prototypes, and, and concept, I mean, proof of concept, yeah. right? Very early stage, which means that we can get involved, help, you know, nurture, there's so many things more that at the early stage before things get, you know, messed up that, <laughs> that we can get involved in and, and offer our different type of um, experiences. So we have a team uh, of partners, you know, consistent from all across. You know, we have people in tech. We have the finance side. We have people that uh, have worked in terms of running and uh, scaling companies. Mm-hmm. So all of this experience together is what we hope to, you know, like to give these young innovators in order to, to be successful. That's fantastic. And I can't stress enough how important I believe your work is and that you focus on this market and, and really, like we said, feeding the ecosystem. But speaking about the ecosystem in large, we had a conversation about this. What, what are we seeing today? What needs are we seeing? What would we like to see changed within the nearest future? You see, um, for me, I always like to focus on the positives, to be honest. So, you know, there's a saying, uh, one of my mentors always say to me, um, the glass is half full, not half empty, right? So that's exactly how I look at Ethiopia, if you ask me, is that, yes, there's a lot of challenges. You know, it starts from like like the, the weirdest things. For example, we got to Ethiopia, we're trying to register as a venture capital firm, and we can't because the government, because it's not a priority and it wasn't really thought about, mm. I guess, mm. there is no VC. You can't register, like you uh. can't register as a venture capital firm. It's not not like, it, it's it's not a thing there. But, but it's not existent, you know? So imagine, so now we're officially a consultancy firm to our own fund, which is set like, you know, set up abroad. Why? We want to be based, we want to set up the fund in Ethiopia, you know? Investing money. Exactly, you know? But now it's just such an inconvenient way of doing things. There are no incentives. So for me, it's like, you know, we didn't come for incentives, right? We just came to make an impact and to make a change. But if you want to get more investors in that field, if you want especially local investors who need to be pushed in order to invest because they don't believe in this type of technologies yet, there needs to be incentives in place. Maybe some type of tax incentives. I don't know. You know, however other countries have done it, uh, you know, in order to thrive. So that, that incentive needs to be there, whether it may be for local investors, international investors, whatever it may be. But in addition, it's also for the government to understand the importance of innovation and technology, yes. right? Because And themselves invest in it. Uh, well, of course. For example, earlier I was, I was so shocked when, you know, like you took us on, a, on an amazing tour and we checked out a couple um, tech hubs and, and co-working spaces and, um, and innovation hubs. And what you see is that I go everywhere and I see, hey, we're funded by, by the city of Stockholm. We're funded by Sweden. And I'm like, I, I cannot wait for the day <laughs> where uh, our city or our country is actually putting money into into these type of initiatives. I was surprised myself. Like I, I knew, of course, you could you could understand that Stockholm is involved. But last year I worked at Invest Stockholm, mm-hmm. and I saw that okay, damn, there's a lot of hands on, there's a lot of initiative, there's a lot of uh, pushing towards us becoming the tech ecosystem we are today. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen by itself. Exactly, it needs to be exactly. coordinated. Yeah, a hundred percent. So you know, 
as I said, um, I think as as these po- and, and by the way, you know, and again, to also speak about the positives, we've had conversations. They are working on the policy. We're also trying to support in whatever way we can mm-hmm. and the policy creation process. And so we're slowly getting there, yes. right? And and that's common in a developing country. We don't expect, uh, we don't have the same expectations of Stockholm. Uh, but yeah, I think slowly we're, we're moving to the right direction. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it'll be, I, th- I think it'll be a very, very exciting time. And, and especially getting situated early and, and I think pushing um, for the narrative and, and making sure that, you know, they understand, okay, you know what, now an international VC might say, before they might have looked at Ethiopia and said, you know what, there is no VC in Ethiopia, so there is no opportunity, right? Now they can at least say, okay, you know what, there's a VC in Ethiopia, yes. so, they are, so if there's a VC, there's most probably something happening, yes. right? So even these type of things, you know, some like, for example, I'll give you another good, good example is, um, I was telling you about this earlier. We met with uh, Jack Dorsey, you know, the CEO of Twitter oh, yeah. and Square. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> but we met with him in Silicon Valley uh, last month, right? So what blew our mind is, so he's he's going on an Africa tour. He's going to Nigeria, um, Ghana, South Africa, and Ethiopia, right? Not Kigali? Not Kigali. I, I guess Kigali is next time. Come on, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so, so what I was thinking was that even somebody like him, right, coming to Ethiopia, visiting the initiatives that, you, you know, the various tech players are playing in really, really shows an importance, right? What we see is that other people seeing that definitely makes you say, okay, you know what? If Jack is going there, there must be something Something's there. Something's going right? on. Exactly. Fear of missing out. Exactly. Fear of missing out. So we're trying to scare them with the fear of missing out <laughs> and um, and get them to come um, to Ethiopia and other African countries. Because, and again, you know, one thing you need to understand, and again, to mention one another positive is that we have a humongous market, huge untapped market. We have over 100 million people in, in Ethiopia, second largest um, population in Africa and untapped. So if you compare it to Nigeria, what you see is that Nigeria has a huge population, but the tech ecosystem is very advanced, right? There's a lot of competition in the startup mm-hmm. ecosystem. A lot of startups in, you know, in similar fields operating, doing very well. Ethiopia is literally untapped in terms of, you know, in the startup tech ecosystem. Which Sounds means like potential. A, um, huge potential, right? And then and to addition also is that there's a lot of talent, right? So we have millions of kids joining um, the workforce every year. But right now, one of the problems that we see is that there's not enough jobs. So what is the best way to create jobs? It's very simple. Let innovators yes. start startups yes. that employ people, right? So people are creating their own jobs. We shouldn't be dependent on corporations or government to give us jobs, right? Let's create our own jobs. And I think that is something that we need to focus on more and, and make sure that, you know, the government and other key stakeholders understand that that is the best way to, to solving this, this huge problem we have of, of unemployment in the country. That's fantastic, man. It's really well said. And thank you for giving us an insight of the, the ups and downsides and the work and everything you said, even like the, what's not in place today. It just sounds like opportunities. It sounds like opportunities and 100%. it's the emerging market. A hundred percent. What's your favorite innovation throughout wow. history? Throughout it. Damn, man. That's a tough one. Hmm. I mean, I, I think I would say there are several. I mean... Um, you just put me on the spot, to be honest. <laughs> but, you know, I think there's so many interesting innovations. Uh, I think especially the gig economy is extremely interesting, I believe. Just, you know, overall um, services like Uber, WeWork, the whole on-demand idea, I think, makes it easier for people and lowers the barrier of entry for different businesses, right? So before, for example, before WeWork came, yeah. like just to use 
um, just to make WeWork an example, not saying they're doing well right now. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> give an example. So before it was really hard. I mean, you have to sign a year lease probably to get an office. So that's a big barrier for entry as a startup. You can't afford one year. Uh, you know, you don't even know if you're going to make it past six months, right? So I think companies like WeWork, for example, now you don't have to get committed mm-hmm. to a year, right? Mm-hmm. You can have a shorter time. You can have a small office. Uh, you know, same thing with Uber. Maybe before you had to have a car, you know, but now, so the whole on demand and like making things easier and and taking kind of the burden off from you in order to help you, um, you know, enter that different type of sectors. I think that's extremely interesting. That's a great answer. What would you say is your best hack for learning? Best hack. So, you know, I'm a firm believer um, that you learn with experiences, right? So for me, you know, I think I think one way I really, really learned a lot and, and, and my mindset has really expanded recently is with traveling, right? So what we see is that, as I mentioned earlier, you know, with Bethlehem, we visited a couple of countries in Africa. We, we were in Silicon Valley. Um, so, you know, what we see is that understanding how things work elsewhere and, and being able to localize that. And, and bring because, you know, a, a lot of times what works in America is not going to work the same way in Africa, right? What works in India is not going to work the same way in, in Germany. So what we see is that being able to localize it is extremely important. So I think traveling and understanding different cultures and how business is done and how other countries were able to leapfrog. You know, one thing that really, um, I was in Tel Aviv and I was really, really surprised by how the country really, really leapfrogged and innovated. Uh, using technology and literally like now, you know, Tel Aviv is one of the like main tech hubs in the world. Changing the trajectory and completely. Like, tremendously, you know. So how do we follow a similar path, mm. right? So how do we localize what they did for Ethiopia and make sure, I mean, Ethiopia, Africa as a whole, right? Um, and, and make sure that we have, um, we have those type of practices and, uh, and processes in place in order to succeed. That's a great answer. And We've, we've spoken about like knowledge transfer before. This reminds me or it makes me, it gives me an image of you physically transferring the knowledge <laughs> by traveling like this. <laughs> Pretty much. I yeah. mean, you know, and another thing is, you know, just to go back to partnerships as well. Um, one of the things that we see is now, like when we're in San Francisco, there's this organization called EIT, which is Ethiopians in Tech. So with them, for example, we're partnering with them now in order to see, because these are all people in Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we, so now we're actually building a platform with Bethlehem that's going to be using AI to connect young startups to people in, in Silicon Valley oh, yeah. and all around for them to, you can choose, right? If you're a startup, you say, hey, I need financing or I need mentorship or I need technical help. And then the person on the other hand, meaning the diaspora, clicks, okay, I have money, I want to invest or I have time to, you know, to go to these startups and mentor or I have, I have technical skill in order to help them. And that matches them automatically. And, you know, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about technology. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, thousands of miles is literally just like a text exactly. away. You know what I mean? Because the strength of Silicon Valley as an ecosystem or Stockholm as an ecosystem is having the the uh, previous founders or the success stories close to hand. So you can easily maybe try to book a coffee or please, can I meet you for lunch? But being able to do that over the distance, you're tapping into the strength of these different ecosystems. Mm-hmm. I really like that that, that approach. So one last question. What are you eager to learn within the near future? What am I eager to learn? I think, you know, I think I'm eager to learn um, how, especially in, in Africa, um, how we can honestly leapfrog ourselves from out of the situation that we're at. You know, I think one of the things that we see is that the emphasis usually is on, on, on old traditional businesses, yeah. right? 
So a lot of times what you see is that people being glorified are people that are in cements, right? Building, uh, that are making buildings, that are, you know, doing these old traditional um, businesses. And, and one thing we see is that for me, I'm, I'm kind of trying to see how do we push, you know, our people's mindset from, from a merchant, right? Meaning you buy something and sell for more expensive yeah. to actually innovating, mm-hmm. right? So how do we completely change the way things are done? Um, how do you become creative about solving different issues? And what is the best way of doing this? And what are the challenges? This is for me, honestly, what I think about every day. And, and what I want to learn is, is understand, you know, as I said, I've only lived in Ethiopia for, for three years. You know, I was in high school. I've been, I've been here now, for, I mean, in Ethiopia now for six months. So I'm literally learning every day. You know, I'm learning, I'm learning the country's um, mindset. I mean, the, the society, you know. Uh, and I think understanding how, you know, and especially with startups too, like understanding how are these startups, how are these startups thinking? How do we motivate them? You know, how do we push them to do more is, you, you know, something I think about every day. That's a really great answer as well. And and you said before this interview that th- this is your first time podcasting. Yes, it is. I'm a, <laughs> it, was, it was not as bad as I thought. <laughs> Definitely. You, you did a great job. And uh, we're just talking to Anthony with Anthony before. I really think you should do a podcast and that's tied to what you just said. Like, how can we spread the information? How can we illustrate this uh, innovative alternative way of building the future? I think there needs to be more stories and continuous stories where you can follow. Okay, this is what Noel is doing and this is what he said here and follow your journey all the way through. You know, honestly, for me, as I said, you know, it's all about sharing, um, sharing knowledge, right? So, I mean, even when we started Network to Network, it was about how yes. do we share knowledge? Um, I mean, even with Kudu Ventures, right? Mm. It's mm. about sharing knowledge and experiences, right? So a podcast, I think, makes a lot of sense. I would love to do a podcast um, under, um, under Kudu and also see how we can work together on that. I mean, I know you guys have an amazing platform and, you know, we're willing to learn from you guys. That's amazing. And, and it's uh, coming back to technology. It's a way of scaling what you did with uh, Network to Network. Exactly. Thank you very much for this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Innocent. I appreciate that. And I'll see you next time in Stockholm. Come back soon and have <laughs> a safe right, trip. I will, I will. Thank you so much. Learnability Podcast is produced by Levels. Working in the fields of digital transformation, innovation, product development, and venture. If you want to know more about us, visit at wearelevels.com. And oh yeah, if you want to find additional material and contribute to the platform, you can do that at learnability.online. That's learnability.online. Looking forward to getting in touch with you. 